Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. You're listening to Nothing Funny About Money. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Danny Kofke. On this month's episode, we are talking about financial adulting. Speaking of adulting, Michael Thomas is taking a break to finish up his dissertation. To me, being an adult means paying bills. Gosh, you got to pay to have the TV on? You got to pay to have the lights on? So I think, hey, I'm an adult now. When I grow up, I want to pay bills. (laughs) Absolutely. Don't we all? Stay in college as long as you can. Well, once you do finally become an adult, you'll realize that the 20s are a critical time, not just for paying bills, but for a lot of other stuff. The earlier you start saving, the better off you are. The magic of compound interest, we talked about it before, of just having that time on your side. Do it as early as possible. And the same thing is true if you want to save it for a first home. Yes. When I was in my 20s, saving up, buying that first home, putting down a good down payment. Here we are now, 42 years old, we're mortgage-free. But to get that bright future, you have to combat the horrible reality of lifestyle creep. (laughs) And this sounds maybe like a villain from some 50s (laughs) B-movie. Lifestyle creep is when you see your income going up a lot, And you think to yourself, hey, my expenses can go up too. And what happens? Your expenses start going up maybe even faster than your income. I know with a lot of people that start making $150,000, $200,000 a year, they start jumping into $600,000, $700,000 homes. And that lifestyle creep, once you do that, then everything else. So, you know, if I'm living in this neighborhood, I got to send my kids to this school. And I may have, it's not the public school, I got to pay for the private school. Oh, the other neighbors, they have tennis lessons. We got to have those too. So it just starts creeping up. And then, like you said, one of those creepy movies. It's intense. You feel judged by everyone. And these little cul-de-sac neighborhoods. People can look right into your driveway and see what you're rocking or not. (laughs) What do you do? How do you manage that pressure? And if you are like the typical recent graduate, you're not only dealing with that pressure, you're also dealing with student loan debt. For someone with a bachelor's degree, the average is now $40,000. That debt can mean a failure to launch, where your financial adult life takes an extra decade to get going. You might want to knock that debt out as soon as possible. How? For some answers, we turn to Zena Kumak. She's a financial writer who got her start paying off $24,000 in debt in just three years. 24000 so that was about average for that year. It was, yeah, yeah. I've always been average. <laughs> okay. So you, the average person with the average amount of debt and the perfectly average life, but then you did something that wasn't very average. Yes. I just really, really hated the feeling of being in debt. It felt like this physical anchor that was just dragging me back. Every time I went to spend money, I just thought, well, my money is already accounted for. Like, government owes all my money. Sure. So it's it's not that you're going from like $1,000 in your checking account to 990. It's I'm going from negative 24,000 to... (laughs) That's exhausting. And there are a lot of studies about, you know, the anxiety and depression that you get when you have when you have student loans and debt. So I just really wanted to pay them off quickly. And I remember I, through my budget, because I wasn't making that much, I was earning about $28,000 a year. 
uh, working as a newspaper reporter. So I called my student loan provider and I said, okay, I can put an extra $10 a month. What is that going to do? And she ran the numbers and told me that it would actually take off one year off my 10-year term. So I'd go from paying it off in 10 years to paying it off in nine years. Right. So even something that small could make a year difference. Yeah, which is, to me, that blew my mind. And I think if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have been so motivated because mm-hmm. that made me think, man, $10, like, you can spend $10 in, like, five minutes, you know, right. go out to lunch or buy a movie. So that got me thinking of what if I can find 20 or 50 or, you know, even 100 So how much did you ultimately decide you're going to try to pay down every month? That first year, I think I mostly only paid $10 extra. However, I also decided that any time I had extra money coming in, whether it was a birthday check from grandma Mm -hmm. or a tax refund or, um, you know, like a random rebate or something, I would try to put the majority of that toward my loans. And, you know, we also don't really keep track of those. Michael has this whole thing about found money. And exactly, the money, it just disappears. So if it's going to disappear anyway, why not put it towards something like paying off your student loan debt? Yeah, and you really have to make that commitment beforehand. And I, I would always take a portion of it for myself and buy myself something I really wanted. And that always felt good because it felt like, okay, I'm being responsible, but I'm also getting something that I've been pining after for months. The same time you're doing the financially responsible thing, your quality of life is also increasing from where you were before. Yes. So you're better off in every single way. Yes. Right on. So then <laughs> this goes on, what, a, a few months, a year, and what do you see happening to the student loan balance? Is it actually coming down as quickly as you wanted it to? You know, definitely not as quickly. That first year is very frustrating. One of my lowest points was, so I worked hourly at my newspaper, and it was, okay. you know, 40 hours a week. But um, on holidays, you know, you got overtime. I remember painfully the next day when it was time to say goodbye to my family thinking oh my god like I would so much rather have like another day with people because when you're living alone in a city you don't know and being with your family is so important so that was probably like I think when I went too far in that other direction mm-hmm. I spent a year at that job and then I moved to the city where my boyfriend was living to Indianapolis okay. and suddenly I wasn't driving like every weekend to see him and this is back when gas was $4 a gallon. And so I got a little bit of a raise, and then I was saving on gas and, like, a few other things. And suddenly I had significantly extra right. to put toward my loans. So at that point I started paying another, like, three to 400 extra a month consistently. So really ratcheted that up. Before, you're finding this found money and trying to accelerate payments, but then it was the ongoing increase in income and the ongoing decrease in cost, the every single day you've got a surplus you didn't have before. That's when you turn yes. the corner. Yeah, and that, you know, I really try to live on as if I'd never gotten a raise at all. It's funny because I remember someone at work asked, are you looking at a new car? And I was like, nope. Or, you know, I remember people, like one time my boss was, he would always want to go out to eat. And I, of course, never wanted to go out to eat. And he said, well, don't you have any fun? And I never said this to him, but I said, well, you know, I was like budgeting for entertainment, you know, fun sure, things. But sure. I was like, fun is not hanging out with your coworkers at some <laughs> crappy restaurant for an hour. Like, you know, I'd rather go take my leftovers and like read for an hour in the break room. <laughs> wow. I don't and feel I really that way about it. you, Chris. 
Chris and I are sitting here. <laughs> no, I really, I really enjoyed my coworkers, but I thought, well, that's not worth it. Like that right, $10 right. can buy me something oh, I really want. Yeah. So you're being very intentional with your money and you still had that sense of, I'm, I don't have 2000 in the bank or whatever. It's, I have negative, maybe at that point, $15,000 yes. so that yeah. you couldn't escape that. You still couldn't escape that feeling. We're back in the studio for a quick break because I want to know, Danny, what are your thoughts so far? First off, it amazed me that when she started off, she was making $28,000 a year. I mean, that's nothing. And she was still able to start tackling that debt by applying an extra $10 a month. And it's going to take an entire year off her student loan debt. Yeah. And what's that, 30 cents a day? It's so incredible. If you can't find 30 cents in a day, then I don't Loosen know. Loosen up the budget a little. Yes, yes. And Danny, I think you're also notable in that you, too, managed to avoid lifestyle creep. What people might be thinking is Danny and Tracy just stayed home. That's actually not true of you and Tracy. You guys kind of got your start as a couple traveling internationally. Yes, we taught for our first two years of marriage. We taught at an American school in Krakow, Poland. So we lived there for two years. We traveled to 10 countries. We honeymooned because we got married in June. We left in August. We kind of delayed the honeymoon. So we honeymooned that April in Venice, Italy. I rode in a gondola. Some guy was singing. So pretty, pretty (laughs) crazy, but on a teacher's salary. But we paid ourselves first every single month. We had signed a two-year contract. So we knew we'd be coming home. So we had that money set aside before we had a chance to see it, spend it, touch it. And then after two years, we came home with over $20,000 in the bank. And that started us putting a nice down payment on a mortgage, buying a car, those types of things. But we didn't let the lifestyle dictate how we were going to live. And we still don't. We, we still kind of try to live on one salary, but then we have the freedom to pursue those things that we want to. Avoiding lifestyle creep does not mean avoiding having an interesting, fun life. It really means more about avoiding these really high fixed expenses. We've got to go to break in a moment, but first, quiz time! Of all the different ways to spend our money, one in particular is the most commonly linked to lifestyle creep. Which category of expenses leads to the worst lifestyle creep? What's the creepiest category? Danny's got it. Think about it, mull it over, make bets with your friends. We'll get you those answers after the break. You're listening to Nothing Funny About Money on WUGA. 91.7 and 94.5 FM. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. Reach out. We'd love to answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And connect with us online at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org. Support for Nothing Funny About Money comes from Elwood and Getz Financial Planning and Investments. As fee-only financial planners, they are fiduciaries to their clients. That's E-L-W-O-O-D-G-O-E-T-Z dot com. Whose car is pulling up in Jerry's driveway? Wait, is that Jerry? Did Jerry just buy another car? Hey, Jerry. Hey, Tom. How you like the new ride? Yeah. Is that a Tesla? Oh, yeah. Brand new. Wow. Got bored with the BMW already, huh? What? What's that? Well, you sold the BMW and bought a Tesla. Oh, oh no. I still have the BMW. It's in the garage. Yeah, that's more of a winter car. And then I have the Audi for long-range driving and the Mini Cooper for mountains. I had no idea your garage was that big. 
Yeah, when we remodeled the house and added the basement, we just extended the garage into the old game room. You remember where I had the arcade? Right. Yeah, that's in the basement now. Sure. Anyway, pretty pumped about the Tesla. Jerry, don't take this the wrong way, but do you really need all those cars? Ah, uh, there goes Frugal Tom again. Ow. Nah, I think this is almost enough. Marcus across the street thinks he's hot stuff with his third Range Rover, so I had to show him what we're all about. Three Range Rovers? Odd-numbered addresses all the way, right, bro? Sure. Anyway, gotta run. Meeting with a loan officer about my second, second mortgage. Something about garnishing my wages, whatever, whatever that means. Garnishes for salads. I don't even have one Range Rover. We're back. On this month's episode, we're talking about lifestyle creep. Before we took a break, we asked, which category of expenses leads to the worst lifestyle creep? And the answer to that, housing. So what's so bad about housing? Housing as our single biggest expense can be really dangerous because you spend so much every month and you're locked in. Well... Playing devil's advocate, isn't it good to kind of be locked in so you can build equity in a home? Fine. I'm not saying don't buy a house, but do you buy the $200,000 starter home or the $600,000 keeping up with the Joneses home? Because the difference in those monthly payments is huge. And then if a year or two in you decide, I cannot afford the $600,000 house, now being locked in isn't so great because you've got to sell the house and you might take a big loss just on the, the realtor fees. I agree. And, you know, I will even say uh, I bought the $89,000 starter home. So there you Sweet. go. I wouldn't even 200000 But, you know, it's really scary, I will say, Matt. Housing prices have gone up. They have. Damn. They have. Um, but the, the scary part to me is so we recently <laughs> sold our house. And yep. the first person that put an offer in was actually going to walk away at closing with money in their pocket. They were financing 101%. And the company was agreeing to that. And I asked my realtor, I'm like, I thought this stock. And he said, it never has. So I said, hypothetically, because it takes a while to get kicked out of a home, these people could (laughs) have walked away with a couple thousand dollars in their checking account, not paid the mortgage for a year. By that time, they'll get kicked out and basically live and make money off of it. So it's to me... You're right. You have to be smart about it because a bank is going to tell you or your mortgage lender, you qualify for this much. They can kind of find ways to get you as much help sure. as you is, want. Is that uh, is that 101% mortgage? Is that in the simple dollar? Did Trent Ham have that as the simple dollar tip? I did not read it. So if it's there, <laughs> you can try to find it, but I don't think he did. Uh, we're referencing last month's episode on cash flow. I'm pretty sure Trent did not say uh, get foreclosed on your house is one of his tips. Uh, Now, we're talking about buying a home, but the same thing can be said about renting. You're locked in when you rent for a year, and there's a a place here in Athens, a student housing, $1,950 a month for a one-bedroom apartment downtown, not making that up. Look it up yourselves. I've got students in my class now, we paint as low as $375 a month. So the one student has locked themselves into an extra $1,600 a month. You want to get out of that, you might lose the security deposit. You might be still on the hook for paying all that rent. That's what I mean when housing can be so dangerous to get locked in. It is. And I think that's what probably gets the average person, when you look at the financial crisis that our country went through or the average person that's going through financial struggles, I think housing is probably the biggest culprit of that. They have too much house than they can truly afford. Housing is so important. 
we decided to dedicate an hour to talking about it. Keep your ears open for an upcoming special episode on housing. Until then, let's return to part two of our interview with Zena Kumak, where she talks about saving money on her housing. We're in the middle of your second year out mm-hmm. of college. You're trying to pay this off. You're making more money. And were you just staying at the, the extra, say, $300 a month? Was the, How long did you maintain this phase? I think it might have been like an extra, I want to say closer to $400. Mm-hmm. And then what really changed for me about after a year I got this new job, I also moved in with my boyfriend and a mutual friend of ours. Mm-hmm. Prior to this, I had been living alone, which, right, you know, right. living alone is vastly more expensive than having roommates. So suddenly I went from paying six twenty five just in rent, not counting, you know, utilities and internet and things like that, sure. to having two roommates. And our rent was two sixty six a month. Wow. So of course I took that difference and suddenly I was basically putting half of my income toward my loans. I'm ballparking here, but this is now about maybe nine hundred, a thousand dollars a month. Yeah, I think it was like nine hundred, nine fifty. And this is all the same idea before of Increase the income, decrease the fixed expenses, and this found money. But you're still hanging out with the boyfriend, if not the coworkers. You're still doing fun stuff. You're not hopefully so miserable. And the debt is just cratering. It's going away really rapidly. Plus, when you get up to that point, you're paying so much less in interest. Right. So the principal is really decreasing rapidly. I mean, it, it really is like such a rush, such a high feeling. <laughs> Sure. All right. It feels good to get out of debt. How long then did this take before you were totally done? The debt's gone. So it really took three years from my first student loan payment in November 2011. So in November 2014, I was debt free. And almost all of that getting out of debt happened really in this year and a half period. So somebody tells you, you have 10 years to pay this thing off. You did it seven years ahead of schedule. Yeah. Sometimes I... uh, I think of like, oh, like, okay, I'm 29 now and I would still have it. Yeah, sure. And I've been debt free for three years now. And you'd still have it for even more years. You'd be in your your early 30s before it finally went away. So now what is it like not having any debt? How does that feel? You know, I tell you, um, I'm in the process. This is so funny. I'm in the process. My husband and I are probably going to buy a house next year. Oh, congrats. And you said husband, so the boyfriend turned into a husband. Yes, yes. Congratulations on that, too. Thank <laughs> right, you. Good. And I'm glad it's the same one. That would have been awkward. <laughs> oh, no, that guy's a loser. New, better guy. No, okay, great. Same guy, same <laughs> awesome guy. But then, yeah, go on. So you are you are out of debt, and now you're talking yeah. about... So my husband and I, were both self-employed, which, if you know anything about buying a mortgage when you're self-employed, it is much more difficult than when you're traditionally employed. So I was talking to a friend of mine who's a mortgage advisor, and I was telling him, you know, how worried I was that it was going to be this incredible hassle from the bank. And he goes, well, what's your debt to income ratio? How much are your debt payments compared to your income? And that feeling of being able to say, oh, well, I don't, I don't have any other debt. That right. was so nice. And I thought, well, at least this one thing I don't have that maybe other people have. Like, I don't right, have right. student loans or a car payment or anything else. And tell us about your self-employment situation. What business do you own? So getting out of debt, when I first started to, I decided to start blogging about it because I had grown up reading, you know, Dave Ramsey and Get Rich Slowly and all these famous bloggers. And I mm-hmm. thought, I want to I wanna chronicle this journey. And then I also want to document it 
so other people can see how I'm doing it and maybe inspire someone else to do it too. So I started blogging about it. And then I want to say in 2013, I went to FinCon, which is a conference for financial media. People there were blogging about money and a lot of them were freelance writing about personal finance. And I have a journalism background. So I started picking up gigs and eventually led to me realizing, okay, I'm making as much as I am on doing this on the side as I am on my day job. What if I had 40 hours to devote to this? So now I've been doing it full-time for two years. You also work with people one-on-one, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I do some money coaching, which is really rewarding because just being able to help people figure out their money, because then they can figure out maybe they want a new job and maybe they want to take a vacation. It really opens up all these other possibilities for them. People who you're working with one-on-one can take your example where you weren't making a really large amount of money. And Mm -hmm. yet you were able to get out of quite a bit of debt in a really short period of time. And I always try to emphasize that. You know, I never made more than I think my highest salary while paying off my student loans was like $31,000. So it's not like I'm making six figures because there there are people who do that. And it's still commendable because there's, you know, people in six figures who don't do that. But um, I I I can tell stories about the opposite of you, of people who are making high six figures and still have the student loan debt. So it really does take some discipline to do what you did. Zena, is there anything else you want to share with our audience? I want everyone to know that if they want to get out of debt, it is possible. Zena, thanks again for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Zena Kumak is available if you need help paying down student loan debt and avoiding lifestyle creep. You can find her online at zenakumok.com. That's Z-I-N-A-K-U-M-O-K.com. Prioritizing savings when you're in your 20s can be really, really difficult. So to help that, we have some ideas for you just to get started. And these ideas can be broken up into strictly financial tips and then some more psychological tips. One of the big finance tips is just to know where your money's actually going. I mean, that is a given, but yet so many people do not do it. And I will say, out of the two of us, I'm the elder statesman here that have I've lived a little bit longer than my co-host. Um, this is true. Yes, yes. But I will say, when we got married, the first month, we walked around. This is before smartphones, right? So I'm old, but this is before then. So we walked around with a piece of paper and a pencil, and we wrote down everything we You didn't we just bought. have a rock and a piece of flint or something to scratch? I tried. It just didn't work. I, was, I didn't so make it on Survivor. Yes, I did. Back when Danny invented paper. That's right. That's right. But we wrote down everything we spent for a month. And then at the end of the month, we were able to analyze it. You and I can both give general tips. Don't go to Starbucks. Don't go to the movies, whatever it may be. But that doesn't apply to everyone. When you write down what you've bought, the numbers don't lie. You personalize it. And then you're able to analyze your budget and say, okay, we can eliminate this. We can eliminate that. And then we took it a step further. And then we use cash only for the entertainment, for eating out. And then that time our groceries, because it's a lot harder to part with the green stuff for most of us sure. than it is to swipe a piece oh, of plastic. Oh, you can feel it. You can really feel it. Somebody is going to take that dollar bill that you have in your hand. It's like part of you is getting torn from your body. Yeah. That little dollar is gone forever. Yes. George, they, come back, come back. <laughs> they hand you back the credit card. You don't lose the credit card, but the cash does go away. So if that helps, hey, go for it. Just keeping a budget, as Danny said, for a month, try to hang with it for three months. 
you'll find so many invisible expenses become visible. Starbucks is a great example of that. You don't feel that individual Starbucks until you add them all up for three months. I didn't realize I spent $500 on coffee-flavored sugar milk. Right. Eating out's a big one. I know that for us. And it amazed me at how many of my coworkers ate out every day. And even if you keep it cheap, fast food, say $5 a day. Well, $5 a day, Monday through Friday is $25 a week, $100 a month, $1,300 a year. $1,300 a year. That, to me, is a lot of money just probably spent on... You know, fast food, and that's cheap. $5 is not that much. But if you're not keeping track of it and you don't know where it's going, it's easy to let it go. Some other invisible expenses are even bigger than that. And we've talked about housing already. And how about the new car? What a lot of people don't understand is you're not just paying for the car. If you have the loan, you're, of course, also paying interest and registration and gas and insurance and deferred maintenance. And all of those expenses might not be obvious. We said housing could probably be the biggest thing that gets people into trouble. I think car payments are the second. And I look at my car. Yes, I have a book called The Wealthy Teacher. But I think what's really funny is my car, you can go out and look at it right now. The AC barely works. There's a crack in my windshield. And the car <laughs> is 16 years old. Wow. But, but I have not had a car payment in 14 years. Average car payment is about New car payment is about $500 a month. So that's $6,000 a year. So you times that, what's that? That's 72, $84,000 right there. And if you're thinking, can I afford the new car? Another big practical tip is start budgeting for that new car. Pretend like you just bought it and then see how does that affect your budget? Can you afford that $500 just for the car payment, the new insurance bill and everything else? Do that now before you're locked into the new car. And if you find it's too much, you can't afford things, well, good that it was just on paper. Take it a little further. When you do have a car, if you have a car payment, continue paying yourself that payment even when the car is paid off. You keep a car 10 years, and let's say five of the years you've been paying yourself a car payment, well, you're going to have this chunk of change sitting right there, a lot more than change, and you'll be able to go buy another car, hopefully outright, if not outright, for a lot less than what it's going for. And this brings us to another big tip, is the pay yourself first. When you are making these automatic payments, like Danny's saying, do it at the first of the month. Before you spend any money anywhere else, that automatic payment goes into savings, goes into investing. You don't feel it because you never saw it in the first place. It's put aside. And then if you blow everything else, guess what? You've still made a smart financial decision because you have money set aside. And you don't need to do this manually Any bank account, any credit union account has the option to set up automatic payments. Lifestyle creep happens for two big reasons. One, as we said, we have no idea how expensive things are. But the other big reason is that we feel the need to keep up. We've all heard it, keeping up with the Joneses. I mean, it probably should be keeping up with the Kardashians, right? Because we try to yeah, emulate Joneses them as well. Yeah, who cares about the Joneses? But we do. We try to emulate our neighbor across the street that... On the outside, you have that white picket fence, the two kids, you drive the nice car, you got a nice wife, everything seems perfect, yet we don't see behind closed doors at night where they could be arguing. They could have $50,000 of credit card debt. They could have people calling them at all hours saying, hey, I want my money. We don't see that. Those people are struggling. They're probably not judging you. They might be feeling like you're judging them. And if having all that judgment going back and forth between you is so important, that doesn't sound like a good friendship to me at all. So maybe get those people out of your life. Surround yourself with people who value you and want to move you forward. I hang out with teachers. 
right? So <laughs> most teachers are broke. I don't have to try to <laughs> say, oh, you, you don't look in a school parking lot and see a bunch of BMWs, all right? So just hang out with broke people and you'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Danny is also a teacher. To all those of you who are starting to draft the email <laughs> right now, uh, yeah, you wrote the book. Yes. If you're having trouble with any of this, reach out. Visit nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org and send us a message. Just look on the right side of the page. We're happy to help over email, phone, or in person. And if you help out an organization, we love to speak to an audience. We've given talks literally coast to coast and want to hear from you too. If you're looking for some light reading, head over to Amazon.com, search for The Wealthy Teacher, and check out Danny's most recent book. Is that it? I think so. Thanks again, as always, to our executive producer, Chris Shoup, and our audio engineer, Garrett Burke. Thanks also to Zena Kumak for being on the show. And thank you for listening. Until next time, peace. You've been listening to Nothing Funny About Money. This show is recorded in the studios of WUGA Athens on the University of Georgia campus. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. Reach out. We'd love to answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And connect with us online at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.